I realized the essential need for humanity to want to come together, congregate, be together, share an experience together. How do we get that connection? And we can bring that and heal a community and be with the community and still have a shared music experience. Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Darren Bruce is on the show. Darren is a producer, live streamer, and podcaster behind the website, The DJ Sessions. The DJ Sessions is a live streamed podcast series featuring the hottest electronic music DJs with live mixes and interviews streamed to a global audience. The DJ Sessions is a featured partner on Twitch, their only regularly scheduled featured live streaming DJ show. Darren also happens to be a pioneer in the podcast space. This is a guy who was podcasting before podcasting was even a thing. Yet in short order, after starting his DJ podcast, he was getting 300,000 downloads a week. For those of you who don't operate in the podcast world, that's huge. One of the reasons behind Darren's success is that he was one of the first, if not the first, person to create video podcasts on Apple Podcasts. If you want to see what a video podcast looks like, go to the Apple Podcasts app, download one of the DJ Sessions episodes for free, and you'll see a video of a DJ doing his or her thing embedded right into the episode page. It's pretty wild, and I had no idea this was even possible until doing my research on Darren before the interview. Darren is also extremely knowledgeable about music licensing, copyright issues, and how to obtain music rights to stay out of legal trouble while operating in the live streaming and podcast arena. In fact, if you want to geek out on this topic, this interview is for you because Darren and I really take a deep dive into music copyright and licensing. But I think what I enjoyed most about talking to Darren, who is a ball of energy and enthusiasm is our discussion about the importance of human connection in the middle of a pandemic and how the DJ Sessions aims to fill that need in a COVID-safe way. We also talk about our shared love for the Broadway musical Cats and had a good time waxing nostalgic about this show. So while the interview is a bit outside the usual Dream Path box, I think you'll understand why I wanted to talk to him on the show. He's a compelling guy with a unique perspective on the importance of collective experiences like live shows. So let's jump into my chat with Darren Bruce. I booked this interview knowing that you are a DJ, or at least you do DJ work. And I don't want to like label you as a DJ, but that was my layperson's understanding going into this interview. And it sounds like your background is a lot more rich and layered than just, you know, this is a guy who likes club music, who decided to buy some DJ equipment. You have a very interesting background. So can you tell us about your film and television work? Absolutely. The, the, the biggest misconception is that people as of late for the last 10 years, they, they actually think I'm a DJ. I'm not. I would never, well, I could expand upon my learning knowledge of getting behind the decks and playing music. I, I can DJ on my phone. I can play my favorite music, but I am not a DJ. I am an executive producer. I produce a series called The DJ Sessions that features DJs. Got it. What I did is I took my love and passion of film and television production and, and my love and passion of going to nightclubs and, and, and watching these DJs play on stage. And I said, 
why can't I bring cameras into this mix? You, you can record a set, you could put it on, 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 you know, wherever you want to, but to capture what happened in the nightclub, the moment when the DJ drops that beat and the nightclub goes AWOL batshit crazy, nobody was capturing that on camera. And the only way you could talk about it or know about it is if you ran into somebody and said, oh, you were at the club with me. That was awesome. And I said, why isn't anyone capturing this? Mm. Why isn't anyone videoing this? And I'm not talking about a five-minute demo reel of how awesome the nightclub was. Why aren't they capturing the set, capturing the crowd, and the story that the DJ tells while they're putting this one-hour, two-hour set together to move the audience? A band does this all the time. MTV was founded off of music television of bands playing their songs. What they did as a concert and then putting it in the studio and playing that song in the studio and sharing it. That didn't happen for the DJ. MTV went its way and the DJ went this way. But what's happened over time, the DJ has become the quintessential superstar of the world. The Steve Aoki's of the world, right? I mean, they're. The, 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 that would be the Tops or the Tiestos yeah. or the Carl Coxes. They have become the foreground now. Now, the funny thing was, is that disco tech or, or, or dance music, electronic music, was always big worldwide. There were discotheques, there were dance, there was dance clubs all over the world. It was underground in the Americas because we were overshadowed by the rock music industry, which did a, had its great time. But in the early 2000s, there was a shift. I mean, we had, I'm from Seattle, and we were part of the big grunge movement, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Mudhunt, all of those bands. Mm -hmm. Bands, 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 bands. But once they got out of bands, it started to go a little bit to hip hop. And I used to work on a hip hop television show called the Cool Out Network from 92 to 2000 and uh, with Giorgio Brown. And we were the only hip hop television show really in Seattle doing our thing on public access. But to see the rise of also these underground parties of electronic music underground parties started to happen. And somewhere around, oh, I'd say the shift, probably 2001, 2002, they started to become overground parties. They started to become popular. and where the bands used to be popular to go to, it started to become the electronic music. And the clubs, they shifted from being band clubs to having DJs. And the DJ became the performer. The music of the DJ was spinning became the performer. And they would play 12 songs, just like a band would play 12 songs on stage. They'd play 12 songs, I mean, sometimes more, on stage and get the, dan get the club moving and grooving and dancing. So tell us more about what a DJ does, because I am magic. I, magic. I'm I'm 48 <laughs> years old. I'm going to be 49 this year, and I feel like I'm just outside of that age group that really grew to appreciate DJ music and that performance style of you know. And, and to you know, let me tell you a little bit about my background. I used to be a, a wedding DJ, so. I was just going to ask, have you ever been to a wedding? Right. Well, I then was. You, then you've been to a DJ performance. Right. <laughs> I, I was the wedding DJ, but I did not consider it a performance other than please welcome the, the bride and groom for their first dance. Uh, who here wants to hear old time rock and roll? You know, everybody goes crazy over Bob Seger and that type of thing. But it wasn't performance. And now we're in a, in a situation where DJs are doing amazing work. And I, I, I watched that Steve Aoki documentary, by the way, and it really opened my eyes to the fact that these folks are truly musically talented people, but they're also, there's a charisma 
to them. They know how to read a crowd. They know to know how to connect to the crowd. And and there's in that way, I almost look at DJ work as almost like Broadway type of performances where the crowd feels like they're part of something special that will very likely never happen again exactly that way. That's exactly what the DJ sessions was created for, was to capture that moment so that if you were there and you saw it, and it was a one-time, this is like a cook who's making a meal with ingredients that he doesn't know what to do and what the crowd wants, but making it, putting it all together and saying, bam, here I go. And the crowd response to it is there. And those people take away from it going, oh, you should have heard this. But if you watch it on the DJ session, you can go back and listen to it again uh-huh. and say, I could get part of it. But you couldn't. The one thing is you weren't there. Right. You're never going to be able to replicate it. You're never going to replicate that moment, but at least you'll be able to hear it. And the thing is, you're going to say, next time, I want to be there. Mm, okay. Yeah. And I, I think the same thing could apply if you're watching like Hamilton on Disney Plus or something. I've never seen Hamilton. Haven't seen it yet. I have, I've never seen Hamilton in person, but I, I would imagine that the folks who do watch it on Disney Plus would be inspired then to go out to the theater if there ever is a theater um, scene again. I, I am, I am an, I, I'm an Andrew Lloyd Webber fan myself, and Cats is my biggest one that I try to tell people. You can watch the video, you can watch the snippets, and you can even go see it in our own theater in our backyard. But unless you see it on the San Francisco stage or the fifth, or if you see it on Broadway, where they can do the actual full play with the full set design, you will not understand the gravity of how monumental this play was as Cats, right? which happens to be one of my favorites, or even any of Andrew Lloyd Webber's on a Fifth Avenue Broadway stage. They, they kind of dumb it down for other stages around the world, but to see it in its full complexity and everything, and you're in a theater with 5,000 people and you're watching this thing take place, you know, you just, you, you don't get that, you don't get that element, but like you said, with Hamilton, you could watch it, but it will inspire, inspire you to want to go see it in person right? and see it in person. Then you go, Whoa, the theater came alive. You know, the actors came alive, the, 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 the pyrotechnics, the, the audio, the orchestra, the every, oh. I I'm with you on cats. I mean, you and I are probably, um, you know, I think we're both brave enough to say that we not only like cats, cats, but we love cats. And we're, we're proud of it. <laughs> Mongo, Jerry, and Rumpelteaser were a notorious couple of cats. <laughs> okay, you're a true clowns. fan. Quick change comedians. Oh, yes, I love that one dearly. I saw it, uh, I saw it in London in, uh, in, the, in the 90s. Were you, a, were, you a, were you a kid when you saw it in London when it first came out? No, I was, I was in my early 20s. Uh, mm. I, went, I went there with my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and we saw it. Yeah. It, was one of, it, was our first, it was our first Broadway musical experience. Whoa. And um, so when you see a show like that, yeah. you have this understanding that you're watching something special, like we said, that'll never yeah. happen again in that same way. And then for some reason, I find that in a musical, especially like a Broadway quality production musical, mm-hmm. I cry, whether it's sad or happy, or it doesn't matter. I just, it just kind of taps into, I think it's what it is for me. It's the vulnerability that you're seeing on stage. These actors are just putting everything out there and, 
everybody's putting everything out there, even the orchestra. Mm-hmm. It's such hard work. None of these people are, are millionaires, except for maybe a few you know, film actors who decide to come in for a few shows. But it's just so cool to experience those types of things. So I'm glad that you're making the connection between that type of performance and DJ performances, because now it just makes me want to go out and experience the DJ performance world even more. Yeah. And, and I mean, by the way, you saw it when you were in your 20s. I saw it when I was 12. Okay. And my, my father actually flew me down to San Francisco and, and, and said that my assistant, take him to the concert, take him to this. And I was blown away. I uh, had no idea. But as far as, you know, the DJ, the rock band performance, I, I grew up in a musical household. My brothers were in a band and my father lavished upon them. Uh, at that time, what would be considered today, if we put it in today's money terms, lavish the affection of, of um, how did I use this word? He didn't spoil them, but he definitely- Heavily, heavily subsidized? Hev- heavily, heavily subsidized <laughs> their musical endeavors. And at the time, when we had $50,000 invested in the studio, and I'm eight years old, growing up with 50000 of that money time, which would now be probably $500,000 of today's money. And I grew up with a musical background in a studio. I mean, I grew up being the producer, being on the back end of tweaking the knobs and touching the things and reading the books and doing all that. They were the musicians. They were the poets. They were the actors. I wanted to be the executive producer. So like you said, watching these extravagant stage performances and people think that it's, like you said, the artists that are doing this, they're doing it because they love it. Not that they're making a million dollars at it. Mm-hmm. Um, not because they're getting paid, but they're doing it because they love it. And that's, again, what the DJ sessions is, is about is we want to show the audience loving it of what they love seeing happen with the DJ doing what they do, making the crowd dance and jump and have fun and capture that for eternity. How did you come up with the idea to incorporate video? First of all, how did you come up with the idea to put this in the form of a podcast? Because you're, you're kind of a revolutionary when it comes to that format for, for this type of, of art. I call it art because it is. You know, I've looked at enough of your work to know that this is um, you know, way beyond just pushing a button and playing music and moving some knobs around. But you, you, you come up with this idea to put this in a podcast format, but also to incorporate video into the podcast itself. And I've never seen that before. So it just kind of blew me away when I was looking through all of your work on Apple Podcasts. It's funny you bring that up because there's a great story behind this, and I'll, I'll try to be brief on it. When we, in 2005, when we had our first series, ITV approved the air, at the time there was no YouTube. When we, when we started, I mean, YouTube was in its infancy. It's barely started. And people, we looked at YouTube and said, nah, we're not going to go that route. Forget YouTube. Because <laughs> we saw it as people, YouTube, like I'm with you on this, we're talking to a camera. Right. It was not broadcast tube. We wanted to be recognized as a broadcast television show. We wanted the NBC. We wanted our credentials. We wanted that. And YouTube was people YouTubing. We missed that boat. At the time, though, I happened to be working for Apple. And while I was working for Apple, the Apple iPod came out, the iPhoto pod. With, you could put photos on it with a color screen. Okay. Came out. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, it was probably like mm, July, August, whatever, whenever it came out. I was like, you know, how soon is it going to be before they're going to be able to put videos on this little device? Because there was no portable device. That's another thing. 
if you wanted to watch online content, you could only watch it from home on your computer or on TV. There were no pocket devices. Nothing. What year are we talking about here? 2005. Okay. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, well, if the iPod photo just came out. How long is it going to be before they made a watered down version of QuickTime and allowed videos to be played on an iPod? Now, knowing what I knew at Apple at that time and listening to Steve Jobs and being on some inside information, I was like, this is going to come out soon. And lo and behold, three months later, they released the iPod video. Mm. Now, this is the funniest story I have about launching and becoming a video podcaster, but you just asked me this question. When they put the iPod video into all the Apple stores around the world, they couldn't announce any of the deals that they had within the networks they were working at. So all of them in the store, I have my good trusty iPhone 6 right here, all of them came in the store, they were blank because they couldn't, NBC, CBS, all the TV deals, they had negotiated and put videos on it. So everyone's coming into the Apple store wanting to see the new iPod video, but there's no videos on them. <laughs> so guess what I did? Around with my store managers and my people at the time, we went and took our series, ITV, and we loaded it on every iPod in the store, all eight <laughs> episodes. So when people are asking us in the store, like, hey, you want to see a video on the iPod? Here you go. And they were watching our show and they're going, wow, that's a podcast? That's a thing you can download? It's a video? And, like, and then they'd say, what is that? Oh, it's ITV. Oh, that's the show I produce, by the way. <laughs> and my managers were kind of comfortably cool with it mm -hmm. because we were able to demo the units and show videos playing on sure or any of the networks had done that now on top of that working for apple i pulled a couple strings and i i went to the store i went to the people in, in charge of itunes at that time and said hey we're doing a video podcast because everything was audio podcast it was blogs then went to a logs or audio podcast but nobody was doing video because the bandwidth to consume video wasn't even there. Servers weren't there. GoDaddy was not ready for what we were about to do. All that fun stuff. So we come out and I talked to Apple. I said, hey, we got a video podcast. We debuted at number 48. And, and iTunes, the iTunes team said, hey, Darren, I contacted them on a Tuesday. They said, wait till you see what we're doing next Thursday. I went, okay. They reshifted iTunes, whole new download, and they made a podcast section. Oh, nice. And in the podcast section, they made a video podcast category. We listed at number 48 in that podcast category. That's incredible. That is incredible. We, went, we were doing 1,000 downloads a week, 10,000 downloads a week. We got to a point where we were doing 300,000 downloads a week. And we went from position 48 to position 23. But every single person I contacted in the iTunes store I sent them all emails and said, how are you all making money at this? And the question <laughs> that came back is like, we don't know. <laughs> Pre-monetization, pre-monetization days. There was yeah. no standard set. I mean, PayPal might've been around. Patreon wasn't around. How Subscriptions, selling things. Their monetization of how do you sell this? Because in a broadcast television world, we had Nielsen rating. And we could tell you who our target demographic was, how many people watching, what the value of it was, and sell based upon that. But there was no third-party effort out here. We were just making it up, running the gun. You could say, my podcast is worth a million dollars. I used to watch Ask a Ninja. Do you remember Ask a Ninja? Yeah. Oh, I mean, that guy was Ask a Ninja. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It was one of the best. And he eventually, I think he, got, I think he ended up getting sponsored by Verizon for a second. 
you know, I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. How many are we still talking about mid 2000s? I mean, uh, yeah, we're talking about, yeah, 2005, 2000, maybe probably before I got into, I got into live streaming in 2009. And but I've been podcasting ever since all my episodes, we live stream, but on the back end of everything we do, it's a podcast. It's back in our servers. It's on our XML. We, we, we now can ingest our XML into our website. So the moment I publish an episode, it goes right into our website. It's done. I've worked on it. It took me two years to build that damn website. But anyways, podcasting is still at the core of our nature of what we do. The, basically, video on demand mm-hmm. is what it comes down to. Yeah. And we know people are going to watch it live, but if they miss the episode, hey, you can go back and watch it. And it's there for eternity forever online. So and- I, I was looking at Twitch the other day. Sorry to interrupt you, Darren, but- It's all good. I was looking at Twitch and your channel on Twitch, and I noticed that some of the songs were muted during certain <laughs> copyrighted. Uh, they said that they, they identified that some of the clips had copyrighted music, and so you would have a couple of minutes of, of, of muted video. Uh, what's going on there with Twitch? I'm glad you asked that, because if you just saw my public Facebook post yesterday, they're coming for you. And what I mean by that is, what you've seen on Facebook and the takedowns on Facebook, what you've seen happen on YouTube, and the, what, what these, these companies have already put in their terms and conditions, you aren't allowed to use music unless you have the rights to use it. Right. That is a given. It, it, people don't understand. There's what's called copyright law. It's not there to protect the big name labels. It is in the big name industry. It's there to protect the individual artists. And they have to protect, they have to do this. So, when you come to our show, the DJ sessions, I know why we're allowed to stream live. I've, I'm a featured partner with Twitch. I've had extensive conversations with them about this, why we're allowed to do it live. When it comes to video on demand, that's a whole nother conversation. Mm-hmm. So it all comes down to licensing. Now, Twitch just did this back in June and said, hey, we're going to start going back after all your clips. We do this on your video on demand. If you don't have a licensing, we're going to Red, I call it redlining. And they're going to put a six-minute bumper around the song they find. Well, Facebook will just shut you down. Facebook just came out and said, October 1st, if you get caught doing this, we'll not only shut down your page, we'll shut down your personal account. Whoa. Stop doing this. Well, that's in another, that's in another shift. That's in a whole other shift, though, because people, if you follow the industry, people don't know that Microsoft had Mixer, and Mixer just shut down. And sold off to Facebook for their gaming platform. Uh, I can talk. I could talk. We could have a very long show talking about this this incident <laughs> alone of what's happening, but people don't know what's happening. And I'm talking because we're a feature. We were the first ever live streaming DJ show that was a featured partner with Twitch. So the ins and outs and all of us legalities and everything in copyright. I've been working with them when when the world went to what's called the COVID experience or whatever it's called and. 99% of the world went to online streaming. I was already in talks with Twitch uh, with their senior team about what we're going to do moving forward. And then I saw everyone jump online and I said, we're going to take a pause. We're going to stop and let them go. Let's go take care of our licensing. Let's go take care of all this back end shit. Yeah, I, I hope I can swear on your show. Oh, absolutely. Fuck yeah. And, and, and let's go take care of all this stuff. Okay, fuck yeah. Let's go take <laughs> care of all this shit because y'all motherfuckers don't know what's about to happen to you. <laughs> And the, and the first great wailing was the DJs went out and they went, let's stream on Facebook. And Facebook shut them down. They went, oh, oh. And I got hundreds, 
literally hundreds of phone calls and emails saying, how is the DJ sessions doing it? How are you doing it? How are you making this happen? Because I'm paying for my licensing, motherfuckers. Please, I've tried to tell you this for years. It's expensive to do what I do. It costs money. It costs time. I got to get all this stuff cleared. And, you know. Okay. So tell us about that. How do you do it? I mean, you've, you, your, your business model is completely, it's like a black box to me. I have no idea what's in there and how, like, I want to peek behind the curtain and see how does Darren Bruce do what he does and not get into legal trouble and make money to put food on the table and pay the rent. That last statement, I don't think we're actually making money and paying the rent with the DJ sessions yet. <laughs> because, because, like I've stated, we have licensing costs. I mean, right. we were in a position this year, actually this year, to go full forward. Like I said, talks in January, talks in February, to go full forward with sponsorships. Those sponsorships that we had went, there's a freeze on our field marketing. There's a freeze. We can't do anything. Move. The two hundred fifty to five hundred thousand dollars that we had ready to go went stop, can't do it. Hmm. So I come out of pocket because of COVID. Because of COVID, yeah. Contracts I had, everything lined up was beautiful. It was like bam, but the show must go on, and that's what we're doing. And we can still do it. Yeah, it comes out of my pocket, but people don't understand. Here's the thing: uh, you want the black box thing, you want the, the nitty nitty gritty. I won't tell you how to do it but I'm going to tell you the exact hurdles you're going to come across okay. and then figure out how to pay for it. One, if you're live streaming, you need performance licenses. Those are easy to get. ASCAP, EMI, CSAC. Go talk to them. Go pay your licensing fee. That's performance license. But watch my fingers here. This is very key. But when you stream, audio has a different license. When you put it together with video, you come into what's called a synchronization license. This has been around since the dawn of television time. You have a synchronization license and a master use license. Mm. Synchronization says, I can synchronize this music with my video. Master use says, I get permission to use this song. That's for live streaming. Wait, wait, wait. It gets better. <laughs> That's for, so first you got to get performance. Then you got to get synchronization and master use to live stream. Now. If you want master uses from usually the person who creates it, synchronization comes from the publisher. Oh my goodness. If there's more than one publisher, you have to get permission from each of the publishers to use it. It gets better. <laughs> if publisher number one says, I'll charge you a dollar. Publisher number two says, I'll charge you two. Publisher number three, publisher number four, they each increase by a dollar. So at the end, publisher number five says, I want $5 for this. You have to pay. Publisher four, five, four, three, two, one, all five dollars for that song. Just to stream it live. And you have to have this license in play before you do it. Wow. That sounds otherwise you can be sued. Wait, wait, it gets better. Okay. It gets better. <laughs> so let's say you get your license. Now you get most songs that people play are by individual publishers, individual artists. You have to go send a letter to each one of them. So let's say a DJ set has 12 to 14 songs. That means you have to send out 12 to 14 messages, wait back for the reply, find out what they're going to charge you, just the stream, because we haven't gotten the video on demand yet. Ooh, another can of worms. Ready for this one? Mm -hmm. So now you got to get the permissions to do all that before you even stream it live or you could be susceptible to a lawsuit. Now there's, there's ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, done. Then you have these other 
entities for 12 to 14 times. I produce four hours at a time. So I got to send out emails and contact anywhere from 40 to 60 people for every four hours to say, can I get the rights for all of this? Yeah. Before my DJs can even play a song online. Now that's live streaming, video on demand, podcasting, whole separate set of contracts. Gotta ask for it all over again. And those fees, they might say, what's your audience for live streaming? Well, based on cost of that, but what's your post distribution and cost for that? And will they give you perpetual rights forever to use that song? Mm. Or will they give you limited rights? You can play that episode and you're, (laughs) you see where I'm going with this. Uh, I've got a headache already. (laughs) Nobody knows this. And then people come to me all the time like, how do you get it? So I just told you, that's what the rules exist. How we do it, that's our magic. Yeah. And you know what? That's something that we've negotiated. I've spent a lot of time talking attorneys, labels, all this stuff in the back end of figuring it out. And so you might go to Twitch and you might see that our VODs on Twitch, video on demands on Twitch, they might have the red lines, but we don't send people there. We send people to our website because I've got the licenses to play it on our website. Got it. Through our distribution there. Okay. Because I'd have to pay for licenses on Twitch and over here on our website. Oh my gosh. So technically what I should do is I need to go back to Twitch, which is what they're saying now to all their people. They're going back to 2014. Or I think it's 2017, 2019. They're telling everyone, take down your clips or you're going to get a channel shut down. They're going to go back to the VODs that are up there. We, we have two-year VODs up there. Yeah. Video. That, by the way, people are watching, that's called Video On Demand. You can go back and watch our old episodes. And there's blacked out music. The solution Twitch said, take them down, Darren. Take them all. So what, and I, I know you're not an attorney and, um, and I am an attorney, but I'm not a entertainment lawyer. I have an entertainment lawyer. I do too. I have three. But <laughs> how do you approach fair use? Because if you're just using something, you don't, you don't even go there. You don't even try to fit don't it. Even, don't, don't even, don't even, people that I see this all the time and I, I, I bless their hearts and bless their souls for trying to say, this is fair use. Get GOTF. Just stop. Just stop stop it. Just stop it. I see that and I'm like, oh no, okay. Really, you're not, you're not. I'm not better than anyone. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, oh, I know and I'm better. We're better and we got it right. I want to help everyone out. But when you start to try to explain this to people, like you said, their head explodes. Yeah. They just, far be it from me to disenfranchise somebody's dreams of trying to make it right. But unfortunately that uncomfortable conversation is over the last six months. I literally have had that conversation and trying to tell people at least a hundred times, if not more, you really don't know what you're up against. You really don't know why I'm trying to raise a quarter million to half a million dollars to do what I do. And they look at me and they're like, like, I I don't even like this character, but I'll say like Jar Jar Binks. You know what? What are you doing? Yeah. He did mess up the empire. By the way, but like, as you may have noticed, there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place. Our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com slash newsletter to join. It's not fancy, just an email about each week's episode, featured artists and resources to help you on your journey. Now back to the interview. 
So you, is your perspective, Darren, then that, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what your, the, the lens that you're looking at this through. Is your perspective that when you say you don't know what you're up against, that it's not even worth trying to put the round peg in the square hole in terms of, of, of fair use argument? Or are you being actually really protective of the artist's rights by saying, don't even fucking try to use their work and say it's fair use? Just there, there's, I think there's this concept of it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. But are you saying that that infringes upon the artist's rights and it puts you in, in legal jeopardy? And it's funny you asked that question because a year ago, I put a post on Facebook, both of my accounts, by the way, because every popular person has two accounts on Facebook, right? <laughs> uh, I put this post out and I said, hey, I just want to let you all know, you all are criminals. Hmm. You are thieves and just want to let you know that. By the way, I am also a criminal and I have been a thief. I acknowledge that I was doing this action. The, 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 when I was, I won't name the companies, but I was doing it under the guise that the companies told me I was using fair use and I fell under their guidelines of why I could be a featured partner with them. And I was doing everything right for eight years. Eight years, I thought I was free and clear and cool. But the moment I moved up to the big boys and I got to Twitch, they said, uh, we could put you to the front page, but we got to make sure your licenses are clear. And I went, oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. And they said, Darren, if we put you to the front page, you could have the episode cleared to the front page. But they could go after the 400 videos that you have on our site. Not only that, they could go after the 1,300 videos you have over here. Yeah. And I went, oh, shit. What do I do then? So that's what I've been spending my time on focusing on all of that to make sure we're free and clear to do what we do to make sure I don't get shut down. Yeah. And there are major, major video streamers. There are streamers right now that you know the game Dance Dance Revolution? Uh-huh. How about this? Grand Theft Auto. Yep. They play these games. And in the background of the video game they're playing are these awesome tracks that we grew up with, the 80s station, 90s station, that license the play. You're allowed to listen to them while you're playing them in your own home, but they're streaming these video games at the track. Their accounts are in jeopardy of copyright violation even though they're playing the video games. Because the video games are playing your home but not licensed for distribution. And they, they make- And just to be clear what you're talking about, Darren, you're, you're talk- so my listeners know what you're referring to. You're talking about gamers that stream their own games onto Twitch. Mm-hmm. And as the game is playing, you're hearing this music in the background. So technically, the gamer that is- background, in the foreground. In the oh, foreground. in the foreground. So you're, you're hearing this music as a listener, and the gamer is then putting themselves in legal jeopardy by- playing unlicensed uh, music that's not their own. They, they even watch this. It goes a step further. Let's say I'm, a, I'm playing Grand Theft Auto and I have the audio turned off, but I'm listening to my local radio station. Oh, man. And all of a sudden the music comes on in the background of my local radio station. Boom. Done. Done. This sounds like a really complicated law school exam question. Just uh, so it's called, complicated. It's called don't fuck with it. You're, fu- <laughs> you're fucked is what it's called. Uh, and if you... If, now, if they went and did their due diligence and they said, hey, I'm producing this video, I'm putting it online, let me go contact the proper people, one, two, three, four, five, and let me see how much it's going to cost to pay for that. And they come back and say, what's your distribution? How many people are going to watch this? Okay, that's going to cost you 
X amount of dollars to license this song, but they probably won't give it to you in perpetuity forever. Yeah. They might license it to you for one year, two years, five years. Perpetuity, what happens if this you I charged you five dollars for a song, I gave you perpetuity rights, but then all of a sudden, two years from now, that makes you 10 million downloads and you make $10 million off that song. You only pay me $5 for Right. Fuck that shit. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> so even Mixcloud is trying to force the industry. And yes, I'm very outspoken about the Mixcloud model that people think is so awesome. But people don't know it's actually in beta. They, they came, they launched, it's beta. They come down and said, they pushed it down, not letting people know we're in beta anymore. Mixcloud is trying to force the music industry to say, this is how much we're going to pay you. This is what we're going to give you. And the artist says, there's no negotiation there. You can't tell me what I'm going to get paid. The publisher, you can't tell us what we're going to make off of each song. Because if somebody goes and does 10 million downloads or 10 million viewers, we want our cut of, the, of using our music to produce what you're doing. You can't tell us we're only going to get five cents for that. Right. Or 10 cents for that. Let's get technical for a second, because I don't think oh, that if, if I don't, I love technical. Well, if if <laughs> I don't understand exactly what a DJ does to create the music, I know that a good portion of my listeners don't know either. So, can you explain what the DJ does to put all of this together, and when it goes from an original construction, an original composition, into something that is copyright protected and how they navigate that. So the moment, this has been proven in a TED talk, the moment you make a song, so let's say I make a song on my computer, mm -hmm. and I transfer that song to a, another medium, call it online, flash drive, hard drive, whatever I transfer to, it is automatically copyright protected. Automatically. Okay. You have copyrights on that. So an artist that is producing their own music has rights and permission. This is exactly what copyright law stands for, is to protect, to make sure that, that artist doesn't get exploited. They don't get taken advantage of. Somebody couldn't steal it and call it their own work and go out there and blah, 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 and they have no rights to it. Mm -hmm. But when a DJ, most of the time, what their thought process is, and, and I'm not speaking of all DJs or every DJ in the world, what they don't understand is you are essentially playing somebody else's music. No matter if you remix it, put effects on it, it doesn't, with the bottom core of it, you're using somebody else's content. Okay. As a matter of fact, Twitch will say in their rules, you are not even allowed to do a karaoke performance. I could not go on Twitch and perform Kurt Cobain's Nirvana, come as you are, as a friend. I'm saying that because you've got guitars in your background. And you, you just violated copyright law I right just, now. Right there, right there. <laughs> Boom, right we caught there. you. Done. Done. <laughs> there are some there are some instances, there is a legal reference why Twitch is getting away with it in the sense of things, but if the music is the foreground of your show, the foreground, it has okay, you want a secret? It's called ephemer use. Okay? If I'm at a stadium televising a football game, I don't know if you're a football sports fan, and I'm going, hi, I'm here today on the field, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, they play ACDC in the background. Back in black. I hit the set. But I'm sitting there doing the interview, and it's a live, one-time performance. I don't have to get clearance for that song. Ah, oh, okay. 
because it's background music, background, and it's a one-time use live performance. Will never be aired that way ever again, ephemeral use. Makes sense. Unfortunately, that pertains to background music because it wasn't the foreground of the episode that you're watching. Got it. When it comes to any, just like what I did with you, if I went, come as you are, as a friend, that's part of our show. That is the foreground, the content of what we're doing. That is copyright protected music. We can't use that unless I get permission. (laughs) So even though it's my own reiteration of what I'm saying, unless we get permission to use that, and that's called rights or permission. Actually, most people don't know this. My mom worked for the University of Washington Press. Her job was rights and permissions. Mm, okay. So she cleared the, the pictures that were used in books, quotes that were used in books. It was her job to go through and find all the people so that if this person who wrote a book wanted to use a picture or use a quote to clear and make sure how much is going to cost to use this. If you can't find them, at the end of the day, if there's no response, you still have to document it. Because 25 years later, somebody could come up and say, hey, you used my picture. I didn't give you permission. But you showed all the documentation. You did all your levels of trying to get permission. Uh, You were cleared legally to use it because there was no response. Yeah. You've got clean hands. Oh, this is clean hands. And this is the University of Washington, okay? They aren't going to mess around. The press is not going to mess around. This has been copyright has been protected for reasons because of exploitation. And, and I do not, some people can say I exploit the music I use. If anyone saw what I do on the back end, no, we're talking to everyone. We're making sure we're cleared. We got it going on. And they give us their blessing because we're acting in a professional manner. But 99.9% of the world out there, they're not. Yeah. And they don't even think, they don't even think about it until they're hit with a violation by Facebook. And they say, well, Facebook should be paying for the rules. Facebook should be paying for, Twitch should be paying for this. And it's like, it's not on them. It's on you, the content creator. That's how the rules work. Right. But they should be paying. They make so much money. They should be paying. Like I said, we could talk for two and a half weeks on this one, and it'd be a fun conversation. So, so what is the future for, for DJs, given how complicated this process is to do it the right way, to do it legally? Plus, you have this added layer of COVID, public venues being shut down. You know, what are the challenges going on right now for DJs? They're going to find out soon. Unfortunately, they're going to find out soon. Just like Facebook is doing, the other big companies will follow suit because there's no way to clear complete libraries, songs from multiple licensing holders, multiple publishers to clear all these songs and negotiate what they're going to get and what they won't get. Facebook has negotiated in good faith with the companies. Twitch hasn't. And Twitch is basically backed by Amazon. If there's those conversations are taking place, when they will go is anybody's guess. But I guarantee you, it will be a shutdown before a free release. And YouTube went through the same thing. I mean, people were producing for years on YouTube. And, and YouTube, obviously owned by Google, Google and YouTube figured it out. Look, look at the three names I'm bringing up here. Google, okay, Facebook. Amazon. I mean, come on. Yeah. You don't think that they don't have legal teams and people in place to understand even at the first venture of YouTube putting videos online. Google bought it. You didn't think that we were getting into? 
You don't think Zuck didn't know with his video team of what they were getting into? You don't think Amazon didn't know when they got involved with Twitch, what they were buying into? Even Microsoft starting Mixer, oh, but then shut down and sold Mixer over to Facebook. You didn't think they know what they were getting into? Come on. This isn't software. This isn't social media. This isn't search engine stuff. We're talking about copyright law. I'm just wondering like what, whether this type of environment, because it's very rigid and strict and draconian, is really conducive to creativity and what, what DJs do. It's not. It's not. It's not at all. It, well, it is conducive to creativity if you're creating your own material. Right. And do DJs do that? Do they create their own material? We would say there's a DJ. The ultimate, what is the ultimate breakdown of what a DJ is? What does DJ stand for? Great question. Disc jockey. And disc jockey was meant you took discs or you took records and you jockeyed them. You played them to entice your crowd with a vinyl record set. You weren't making music, right? I mean, Unless you brought in a keyboard and you, unless you were, but that becomes live performance. You're a band. There's a difference between a disc jockey and a band. A band creates their own original content. A disc jockey plays other people's music. Now a producer, a DJ can be a producer and play their own music. And like Crystal Method, take them for example. You can book Crystal Method, if you know Crystal Method. Mm -hmm. You can book Crystal Method for a DJ set, or you can book Crystal Method for a live set. And when Crystal Method comes and plays their DJ set, they can play out of their hour-long set. Let's say they play 10 original songs that they own and publish the rights to. Great. There you go. But they play two songs that they don't own. Before they go play those songs, they're going to pay all the licensing, performance rights to all those songs they're going to do to play those songs. Unless they play an entirely owned Crystal, Daft Punk, same thing. Right. So Steve Aoki was, was doing that as well, obviously, with these huge shows. He would get permission in advance and do all the legal work. Or he'd have his own, he'd have his own songs that he's playing that he owns the rights to, to play. And his own team said, yeah, this is the rights. We got this. But if Steve Aoki went out there and played some track from some obscure European somebody, whatever, that he didn't have permission to, they could come back and say, I'm suing you for $50,000 for using my song or $100,000, $200,000. You didn't have the rights. At that level, all that shit is cleared. Okay. Cleared. Mm -hmm. But the average DJ playing in a nightclub, even if the clubs are paying their ASCAP BMI CSEC fees, the truth is they aren't keeping a list of it. So people don't know, people don't even know this. The way the royalty rights get paid out on songs, okay, they take a sample, ASCAP BMI CSEC, they take a sample of the top 400 events that are going on in the world. And they say, what songs were submitted to us? And that's what we're going to use our money that gets paid to us to pay out those ones. Hmm. That's how it works. And if you're not playing those festivals, well, there are secondary like uh, Pandora or Spotify or, or those ones. You can also make your point zero 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 one cent for each play that happens of your song because you're licensed on those platforms, whatever. A lot of DJs, we're not talking about the top 1%. Let's talk about the 99%. They don't make their money from playing shows. They make their money because they have a day job. Let's, let's take the top 5% and let's say they're producers. They don't even make money from producing their tracks. 
They make money because they're helping others produce their tracks, mix their tracks. They're doing the meat and potatoes, the, the blue collar work of the industry, tightening tracks. Uh, they're, they're out there doing, or they're working on a corporate job, producing audio bites for, for corporations as a producer earning $60,000, $80,000 a year. But this DJ thing is a side gig to them. Yeah. So really, they're doing it out of pure passion and love. Exactly. And that's what I like to capture on the DJ sessions is the pure passion and love. The real passion, the real, let's get the audience moving. I'm out of my my element. I'm not playing in my bedroom. Let's show the world how awesome this mix could be. And let's get the dance floor moving. Not in a nightclub with 150 people. Let's get this out to the 7 million people in the world. Let's push this. Oh, maybe it's 8 million now, but let's push this and get people watching to show them how awesome, how much hard work, how much diligence each of these creators puts in to what they do. And yes, a DJ curates a set. Yes, a DJ has a playlist. At the end of the day, though, it's not their own music, but they are telling a story. They are putting it down. They are, they are transforming you to let you see what they found through art and giving that experience to you as the end user to make your feet shuffle, to dance, bob your head, whatever it is, and have a great time on the dance floor. That's fantastic. And, and I, I'm glad that you described it like that because I think that the, the perception out there of what a dance floor is has to be changing now because I've seen your recent episodes and I've followed you on Instagram and Twitch and, and your channels. And it seems like there's a movement because of COVID undoubtedly to move these venues outdoors to beaches and you're, you're seeing a lot of good responses from folks from what I can see that people are having shows brought to them. They're having music sort of dropped into where they're at already. And some of them are probably showing up specifically for that event, but also some of them are probably staying even though they never intended to because, hey, look at what's happening here. There's something special and spontaneous that just kind of came together. Absolutely. And that's one of the one things that we realized when I realized this in March when all everything shut down and then we found out we were, in, we were actually considered an essential business and allowed to function. And we came back in May and started to brand these shows. And then obviously an awesome thing happened in our country where there was these awesome protests that I completely support and am fully behind. I decided that, hey, I'm going to take a break. But in July of this year, I said, I got to get back to business. And I realized I'm an essential business. And not only that, I realized the essential need for humanity to want to come together, congregate, be together, share an experience together. Our love of theater, mm-hmm. our love of passion, our love of, hey, even going out to a restaurant. I mean, shit, there are people in the world, and I've done this in, in my life. I go out to the grocery store back in my life just so I don't feel alone. So I'm surrounded by people, but I'm in a group. But now that's all, what do we do? And how do we get that connection? And we can bring that and heal a community and be with the community and still have a shared music experience and physical and social distance through our silent disco technology and still have a performance that people can show up and be in person, be safe, and, and, and just have something to do outside of the home and not watch it on a two-dimensional screen. That's so fucking beautiful the way you describe that, Darren. Seriously, thank you for doing that. Thank you. I think we all are starved for that type of uh, connection, and we don't realize it until we hear 
hear it described like that? Like, what are, what are we missing in a global pandemic besides a lot of things? I mean, we're missing a lot of things, but that human connection is like the most important. I really didn't realize it until it was, it was March till May. And I really didn't realize, and I was, I left the nightclub game. I used to be a nightclubber for 27 years, going out, hanging out, partying. But even when I walked away and I started focusing on my own business and stopped going out at night and doing all that, when we did the first ever drive-through raves in the world, in the world, we were doing them in Seattle. And I was on stage. I was the streaming company that provided the streaming for it. And we had the drive-through raves. We had the cars come in, but I was working with one of the top lighting companies, R90 Lighting. It did all the shows for, when I say WAMU Theater and I say CenturyLink, those words probably don't mean anything to you. When I say the major conventions and Microsoft, these guys do the Rolling Stones shows. They do all the concerts, everything. And we're in their backyard parking lot. And they've set up out of their warehouse a full lighting show, full array, line array, sound system, and everything. And I'm back there streaming live. And I'm backstage as one of the stagehands working the show. And I'm watching this music and these lights go live. And there are goosebumps on my arms going, I really took all this for granted. I did not understand how much live music, how much in-person concerts, how much this means to people mm. to be out and doing something and being part of something in a collective experience and sharing. You, you, can, you can look at the person next, you can share, forget political views, forget anything aside, but I'm dancing, they're dancing, we're here. Fuck yeah, this is awesome. And we all have not been able to do that. It's been shut down. Hmm. And that is a core, a core human behavior that we look to. And like I said, as simple as going to a grocery store or a restaurant mm -hmm. or a bar or a nightclub. And we gravitate towards what we like. I mean, you not to pitch it on you, but you might like rock music. I might like electronic music. You're going to go to the rock nightclubs. I'm going to go to the electronic music nightclubs. Right. We're going to share collective experiences in a zone with people that we're sharing a collective experience with. That has been decimated. I mean, done. I mean, people are still doing it in the form of renegade parties and all that fun right. stuff. And right, right. seeing the effects of that happen. Right. <laughs> but I figured out a way to do it with our company in a completely safe CDC, state, county, city regulated endeavor. And make everyone still have a great time and have a shared experience. And it doesn't stop with just DJ or electronic music. I could put a full band on play. I could put yoga. I could put I could put uh, healing. I could put meditation on a channel. I have four channels. I have four DJs playing at the same time. I could easily turn one of those into a healing channel or a band channel. Whatever I want. What are you paying attention to right now? And, and, and what are you looking forward to in 2021? terms of projects? Well, we're going to keep moving forward with what the DJ Sessions does, do what we do best. As far as events and, and live things go, we want to, I am literally writing the playbook for the state of Washington to take that book to them and say, here's how it's done. Here's what we've been doing. Here's a six month tried and true method. Now, is that going to be able to be scalable to a large 20,000, 40,000, 50,000. I mean, Josh, the, the state of Florida just opened up their stadium. Mm, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Hey, <laughs> look at that. Cool. Um, you know, we're not trying to push to that. What we are trying to push is what can we do to set a model that says this model works, this model's safe? How are we going to gain back 
public confidence in knowing that I'm going somewhere that I can bring my kids to or bring my grandmother to, bring somebody who might be an at risk or how can we do that right. and make that safe Yeah, and, and set that as a model moving forward. Because you know what? Before all this started, there were no protocols in place whatsoever. If I had season tickets to the Seahawks game, and I love my Seahawks because we just won last night by a kick I watched the game. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my God. <laughs> I actually have it on pause right now for this interview. I had to watch it again today. Going, it's, it was a crazy, very, very <laughs> Russell Wilson game. Yeah. Let him cook. I, I, that's the first time <laughs> I've ever said that. But let him, I mean, damn, that was awesome. But my point is, is a year ago, I wouldn't have thought about bringing my mom to a game. Now, I might say, hey, mom, you're going to stay at home. Or watch the game. I mean, I might, I might say that. I might say, "Mom, come with me. It's all cool." But we got this whole. We're gonna have to get out of a big PTSD of a cycle of what is safe, what is moving forward, what's going on. Right. And with what we're doing with silent disco technology, we can do the best we can. I mean, there's no way to one hundred percent. There's there's no absolute to life. I mean, philosophy is is. I think uh, it was Tyler Durden said it best in the movie, you know, the average expectancy lifespan of anyone is zero. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're going to die. Right. I am, but I mean, you don't have to be careless in it. You, you, be, you can care about people, but you know, what do you do? You know, and, and just finding new ways. Online consumption is great. I've been an, on, an online distributor of content for years on the forefront before this, but our shift was not to always be just an online content provider. We wanted to do more. We wanted to throw events. We want, we want to have people coming. We know there is a component of a physical expectancy to what we do. So that's what we're making happen. Well, Darren, it's been so fun to talk to you. And uh, now that I know you're a fan of cats like I am, and I can, I can come out of the cat's closet, Maybe, maybe we can sing memory of this the course from memory technically you and i together you and hold i on, together hold on, hold on, hold on. i'm gonna pause you before you said this it's technically my least favorite track off the soundtrack it's the only one i know dear <laughs> it's the only one I know. it's okay it's okay 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 i'll try to see it, it's almost i'm just gonna let you know i don't even think i've memorized that one okay i've memorized almost everything else but i'll try to do it with you all right, I don't even know how it starts. I just know the course. Memory. Come out of the moonlight. That's it. That's all I know. <laughs> I can actually you know what I can do? I can do this. Okay. <laughs> All right, brother. Ask me any other track of that. Get me Rumble Tigger. Get me Rumble. Give me uh, McCavity. Get me any one of the other ones. I love. I just don't know why I never fell in love with Memory. It just. I know that's supposed to be the hit. That's the one that makes everyone weep in the audience. It's the old person's song. It's not the, what young people are going to connect to if you're 12 years old watching that show. It was, but it wasn't a Jellicle song for Jellicle cats. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, Darren, it's been a lot of fun, man. It has been. And, and hey, anytime, let's talk again. Uh, I'd love to come back on your show. This has been a pleasure. I want to know more about those guitar. Is that a banjo up in your upper It's a freaking banjo, man. It's, it's my dad's banjo. banjo. Yeah, he, my dad played banjo, and I inherited that from him. 
I have yet to learn. I, I know a few chords, but I don't know the instrument. So it's one of my resolutions to learn that in the next few years. And then I have a, I have a ukulele. I've got an F hole uh, Gibson. I've got a couple of, uh, I've got a couple of PRSs, a bass and a custom 24 back there. So my, my brothers, I, I mentioned them earlier in the interview. My, my brother was the lead singer for the band. My other brother, he was lead guitar player for the band. And oh, nice. I'll tell you, not a lot of people know this. It, he was, uh, he was, he was amazing. It was amazing to see that guy play on the guitar and play in the band. And um, so I have, I have an inclination to the musical background. And when I see these guitars, the back, I mean, of course, I'm going to ask you, maybe the next time we get on, get on the interview, are you going to play uh what's the, it's the movie. It's, th- that's uh, the deliverance song. Deliverance. Right? I want to say Desperado. <laughs> now it's funny because in my mind I went to Desperado for a second. Right. Desperado. That's no, 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 no. Okay. Desperado, the uh, Robert Rodriguez film. Oh, okay. Now, now, now I know the what you're talking about. Or called yeah. El, El Mariachi mm-hmm. before he before he became Desperado. Right. And that was just. I mean, I remember seeing that movie and like, this motherfucker kicks ass. <laughs> like, this is some cool <laughs> shit. But the intro scene of what he's playing on the Antonio Banderas, El Mariachi, you know, mm-hmm. and just there are so. I remember actually having this argument with my brother. And, we'll, and sorry, I know I'm talking a little bit longer, but I used to play the trumpet in fifth grade, and I told my brother, the trumpet is so awesome. It's so amazing. It can make so many sounds. And he goes, you don't know how many sounds a guitar can make. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> I look back at it going damn he was right <laughs> this is so cool especially if you're like eddie van halen the uh, sounds that he could put out were just mm. so extreme and, mm. and varied mm. one of the greats i mean one of the greats it was a a blessing to see that level of artistry or even stevie you know mm-hmm. back in the day oh, what right. stevie Vaughan could do uh-huh. with that was just amazing what they could do with this this little instrument some six strings mm-hmm. you know so anyways, I know we got to get going and thank you so much for having me on your show. Darren, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and you're, you're a great guest and thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. Let's talk soon. Hey, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path.